tonight. At this global event, this universal stage, whose storied past is rivaled only by the promise of an even bigger future. Millions will watch from around the world, waiting, anticipating for that next breathtaking moment. The stage is set. The time is now. History is at hand. This is WrestleMania. My name is Sal, and on this episode, I am flying solo this week after a string of fantastic guests from Adam, the Rundown Life Giver on WrestleMania 17, to Jason, the workhorse of the Rundown on WrestleMania X8, and finally, rounding out the trio of guests on our last episode for WrestleMania 19, we had... Shockingly still sporting a huge chest, Henry Hugepacks from the Raw Attitude Podcast. Thank you to all my amazing guests. I have more guests coming soon, including the telling of terror and amazingly offensive jokes, Troy and Jeff. Those two will be appearing in future episodes, but we'll get there when we get there for now. We begin tonight where it all begins again. Sorry, it's going to be a theme. With the WrestleMania Rundown. The 20th WrestleMania returned to where it all began back in 1985, the world's most famous arena, Madison Square Garden. And aired live on pay-per-view on April 14th, 2004. The attendance for this event is listed at 18,500, and the tagline given to this event was, Where it all begins again. This was, and remains, the last time WrestleMania was held at Madison Square Garden, as the WWE would move on to larger stadiums by the time WrestleMania came back around to the New York area in 2013. This WrestleMania also marks the first time the Hall of Fame class was honored at the actual event, as the Hall of Fame became an intricate part of what is becoming known as WrestleMania Weekend. We begin tonight with the world-renowned Boys Choir of Harlem. They are here to sing a superb version of God Bless America, It is a shame, however, in two years when those kids hit puberty, their voices will change, and they won't be able to sing a note. But for tonight, it's fine. They do a great job. And then we get our opening video. It's so epic. I'll play some of it for you right here. 20 years ago, one man had a vision. It began here, and it would change our world. Force 
our seats and gave up our hearts. The boyhood dream has come true. We watched with utter disbelief. Oh, he won't do the foul! I can't believe my eyes! Stunned silence. The Austin era has begun! And sheer amazement. Oh my God. But above all, we've been inspired and enriched by the vision. Now, at the very end of the video, there is a shot of Vince and Shane. And Shane is holding his newborn son, Declan. That's right, folks. I bet you didn't know that the biggest WrestleMania debut this year, in the McMahon family's eyes, was someone who couldn't even talk yet. But I digress. After the video, we are welcomed by our important commentators... Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler, and then eventually they bring up our other commentators of Michael Cole and Taz. The B-team in full effect, and I'm not talking about Curtis Axel and Bo Douglas. We begin the night with match number one for the United States Championship. Champion, The Big Show. Against, uh... Some kid from the streets. That's right. The Doctor of Thugonomics himself makes his WrestleMania debut tonight. Because last year he was just on heat, so it doesn't count. The Salisbury Beach gangsta, John Cena. It is fucking amazing when you watch this match. To hear, to hear just how over Cena was at this point. First off, seeing him, and yes, I can see him, in a New York Knicks jersey is jarring enough. But listening to how the crowd is reacting to him? How the fuck did they fuck this up in less than 18 months? The guy could get over on the mic as easy as Enzo Amore. And yet, for some reason, they turn, they try to turn him into Hulk Hogan... And he's overcoming all the odds, and he loves the soldiers, and the crowd just shits all over it. I mean, this is a guy... Okay, now, mind you, I know that John Cena is a first ballot Hall of Famer. He went on to win a bunch of world championships. But I feel like when he first was, was on the rise, he could have been as popular as Steve Austin for at least four or five years. Before people started getting sick of him. I mean, they literally got sick of him, like, two months after he won the title. And I gotta blame WWE Booking for this. Jason, what do you think? The easiest fucking story to tell? And they fucked it up? I couldn't agree more, but I'll let you guys hear it for yourself. Now is WrestleMania here to represent? Then let me hear everybody make some noise! player on the Super Bowl stage. So get that gorilla big show out of his cage. Ain't no way that I'm gonna lose to that 
King Kong ripoff. That's like Gary Coleman beating Patrick Ewing in a tip-off. Big Show's really an ape with opposable thumbs. And he stuffs his singlet. Looks like he's smuggling plums. Yo, everybody knows that he can't see me. I'm itching to beat him like a penis with a STD. I'm not even wrestling the big show. This whole thing's a charade. My match is with the hippo float from the Macy's parade. So it's time to get a championship to match these custom nuts. Madison Square, chant it loud, baby. Big show sucks. For the record, only John Cena can get away with saying penis in his promos, even in 2004. Now, Big Show comes out as the crowd continues to chant, Big Show sucks. And we get our very first typical Big Show match at a WrestleMania. Now, I'll give the Big Show credit. He busted out a couple of -of out-of-the-box moves, uh, such as a vertical suplex and a Cobra Clutch. But I'm going to tell you why this was a typical Big Show match. Pounds on Cena the whole match. Cena tries to pick him up, but fails. Until he finally does pick him up and hits him with an FU. Typical Big Show booking. Oh, and for anyone born after 1998 that may be too young to remember this, John Cena's Death Valley Driver Slam that he now calls the Attitude Adjustment was originally called the FU in response to Brock's F5 when the two were briefly feuding after WrestleMania 19 last year. Now, I will, for continuity purposes, call it the FU tonight. Don't force me to call it the attitude adjustment. I am not ready for that shit. Now, to Big Show's credit, he kicks out of the FU. So Cena goes to the apron and grabs his padlock chain that he wears around his neck at this point in his career. And the referee sees this and stops Cena. So Cena throws the chain on the apron halfway across the ring. And the stupid referee is like, Whoop, I guess I'm gonna go get the chain and turn away from the action. To which Cena then grabs his brass knocks that he also carries around and clocks Big Show in the face. The referee, of course, doesn't see this because he's so busy worried about the padlock chain. Big Show falls back, bounces off the ropes, Bounces towards Cena. And Cena then hits him with another FU. Cena, the babyface, then stuffs the brass knucks in his jorts and pins the Big Show to win the United States Championship. Your winner and new U.S. Champion, John Cena! World life, Cena wins his first championship 
And it's at Madison Square Garden at WrestleMania. Now, I'm sure he'll be respectful towards this title and not turn it into something you'd see on the wheel of a lowrider. Hmm. Maybe that's where the scene of hate started. Backstage, Coach is glad-handing until he gets to Eric Bischoff's office. That's right, Eric Bischoff at WrestleMania. That's a thing. It's a little bit weird. And second of all, Eric Bischoff is in his office with uh, John Morrison. Uh, Fresh out of Tough Enough John Morrison, who at this time was Bischoff's quote-unquote apprentice. Also at this point, he was first known as Johnny Blaze. Uh, until the WWE received a cease and desist order from not only Method Man, but also apparently a comic book company, both telling the WWE, hey, Johnny Blaze is our thing, don't use it. Okay. Uh, So the next week he was Johnny Spade, and that didn't last. So at this point, he's Johnny Nitro... Because, again, he's Eric Bischoff's apprentice, and they thought sticking him with the last name of the failed WCW Monday Night Show was a good gimmick. I fucking guarantee you they change it to Johnny Analog at some point, too, but I digress. Bischoff tells Coach he has a job for him, and it's to find The Undertaker, to which Coach kind of laughs. He's like... (laughs) can't find the undertaker it's not how that works and bishop is like no no i'm I'm fucking serious you you need to go find him so coach reluctantly goes off looking for the undertaker i'm sure that will turn out just fine for the coach that brings us to match number two a sudden death fatal four-way match for the world tag team titles Remember last episode when I was bitching that all we do now is stick uh, four tag teams in the tag title match? (laughs) Well, we're going to double down on that tonight, but I'll get to that a little bit later. For this match, we have the team of, and I shit you not, Garrison Cade and Mark Jindrak versus the Dudley Boys. Yeah. Versus La Resistance. Meh. Versus the champions, Rob Van Dam and Booker T. Eh? Now that's a little bit of a strange pairing. And, I'm, and not just for stylistic purposes, but Booker T obviously coming off his um, world title program with Triple H at last year's WrestleMania. RVD... Uh, you know, winning mid-card titles, and I think he was in a tag team with Kane at this point last year, so I don't know how we got to RVD and Booker T, but apparently that's what the WWE thinks of Booker T, is they just think of him as a tag team wrestler. Whatever. Now, look, this match is short, but for what it's worth, the crowd is firmly behind Rob Van Dam and the Dudley Boys. I mean, I'm sure that has nothing to do with the matches these guys put on at the Hammerstein Ballroom just a few blocks up the street, but, you know. As I mentioned, the match was pretty quick. Booker T nailed a scissors kick on Rob Conway before Van Damme nails him with a five-star for the win. Five-star frog splash! 
Still one of the best moves in the business. Your winners and still the World Tag Team Champions, Rob Van Dam and Booker T. We go backstage for more comedy. Coach is looking for The Undertaker. He has a bunch of strange noises coming from what looks to be a walk-in freezer. And upon further investigation, we do not get The Undertaker. But instead, we get what looks to be an old people orgy with Gene Oakland, Bobby Heenan, the fabulous Moolah, and of course Mae Young comically making their way out of the freezer. Oakland and Heenan, by the way, covered in lipstick. Uh, Coach seems perplexed, but I get, you know, he got to understand that old people need some McLovin too, so. Also, Bobby briefly mentions the Hall of Fame, but we'll talk more about that later. Match number three, as we roll right along here. Hey, there's 12 matches tonight. It is what it is. Christian takes on Chris Jericho. Now, the storyline for this feud is kind of convoluted, so follow the bouncing ball, all right? In a storyline that feels like it was taken straight out of Say by the Bell, Jericho placed a bet with Christian for one Canadian dollar that he could sleep with Trish before Christian could sleep with Lita. Yep, straight out of high school, a motherfucker named Awful. Trish, of course, found out because Christian told her. And why did Christian tell her? Because he didn't want to lose the bet. This leads to Trish being very upset with Jericho and never wants to see him again. But Jericho has actually fallen in love with Trish and thinks that she is the greatest love of his life. Had to do it. Had to do it. Jericho wants to tell Trish how he feels, except Christian is playing both sides. So while discouraging Jericho from telling her his true feelings, he's also trying to play up with Trish and trying to get with her behind Jericho's back. In the midst of all of this, Bischoff decides it's a great idea to put Christian in an intergender match with Trish... And Christian basically tells her that he'll lay down for her if she'll lay down with him. Oh. However, when she is reluctant to agree to this, God knows I don't blame her, uh, he beats her up in the match and injures her by locking her in the walls of Jericho. This, of course, enrages Jericho, who vows revenge at WrestleMania. Now, I gotta say, Jericho and Christian actually put on a great fucking match. Jerry Lawler almost ruined the fucking thing by saying this. He could get a rock band himself. 
Really? Really, Lawler? It's bad enough. You're a goddamn pedophile. But now, you're gonna go make domestic violence jokes? When Lord knows there's incidents before and after this night of police being called to your house because of domestic disruptions? Uh, you know what? I'm done talking about it. I'm moving on. Fucking piece of shit. Anyways, both guys, Christian and Jericho's work rate is off the chain at this point. And this match has some crazy bumps right from the start. And if for a match without any special stipulations or any weapons involved, you know, tip of the hat to Jericho and Christian, who really kind of lay it all out there. Um, however, as much as I enjoy the match, gotta say the finish was kind of convoluted. So, Trish makes her way down the ring, and from what I gather, it's the first time anyone's seen her since Christian's attack. She gets on the apron, and Christian grabs her by the hair, drags her in the ring, and then throws her down by her hair, which is kind of fucked up. I mean, we're not talking, like, you know, hornswoggle. This, this is, you know, Christian's a pretty decently sized dude. And he's literally just tossing Trish around like friggin' Tommy Lee to Pam Anderson. Sorry, I'm a Motley Crue fan too, but I just, I, sorry. Anyway, uh, you know, Jericho flips out, clotheslines Christian over the top rope. And he, he tries to console Trish, and Trish, without looking, just throws an elbow. Because I think we're supposed to think that she thinks it's Christian that's trying to grab her again. So Jericho catches an elbow right to the eye. And Christian rolls him up for the three count. Your winner, Christian. Now here's where it gets fucking weird. After the pinfall, Trish tries to apologize to Jericho, saying it's all an accident. But then just as quickly, she fucking slaps the shit out of him. Christian then slides into the ring and hits Jericho with the unprettier. She then leaves with Christian... And even makes out with the creepy little bastard, and yes, that was his gimmick at this point, was creepy little bastard, at the top of the stage. Now, apparently, from what I remember vaguely, and from what I read, according to reports from Raw the next night, her explanation is she likes getting beat up by Christian? So, yeah... That's a storyline that happened. It's funny because the Piggy James storyline still to this day gets so much heat. How did this go under the radar? <laughs> Moving right along. Lillian Gussie is backstage with... Returning to the ring tonight. Mick Foley. And I wasn't going to do it. But since this is Foley's first mania. Since, since WrestleMania 2000. And since this is the last time we see the Great One for a while, ladies and gentlemen, The Rock and Mick Foley. Mick, you must be extremely emotional tonight, being that this is your first match in four years. So what is going through your mind right now? 
Lily, it's more than just my first match in four years. It's WrestleMania. It's Madison Square Garden. It's the biggest night in the history of our sport. Fans have flocked from around the world to be here. So when you ask, am I overcome with emotion? Yeah. I just hope that the, main, the hatred I have for evolution doesn't overcome me, get in the way of the plans that The Rock and I have made. Whoa, 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 Mick Foley! Mick Foley, you talk about the emotion. You gotta let the emotion go. Let it go. Because Mick Foley, The Rock, hasn't said this in a long time, but finally, The Rock has come back to New York City! That's what I'm talking about, Mick Foley. And The Rock says this, finally, Mick has come home. Hey, Lillian, no, 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 no. What are you Don't look at the people's package, Lillian. No, no, no. The buffet is closed. You see, Mick Foley, this is your night. This is your night. The Rock knows it. Lillian knows it. Hell, the camera crew knows it. Let The Rock show you. Come here. Come around the corner. Oh, look, we got, we got the Hamburglar and Grimace. They know it. They know it. Put the hamburger away. Try the Chicken McNuggets, your best son, bitch. Look at this right here. We got two legends. The Superfly, Jimmy Snooker, Don Morocco. They know it. They know it. Follow The Rock. You see, Mick Foley, you see. And, 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 and above all else, the people know it. Oh, no, 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 no. The Rock said, we are live, New York City. The people know it. And it's not good enough, Mick Foley, to hear the people. We're going we're gonna to see the people follow The Rock. It's our night. It's our night. Let's go out there and electrify as only you and The Rock can. Let's go out there, slap the lips off those evolution sons of bitches, whoop their candy asses, and get some mail! What The Rock and Sock is cooking! Match number four is a handicap match featuring the members of Evolution, Ric Flair, Randy Orton, Dave Batista against The Rock and Mick Foley, otherwise known as The Rock and Sock Connection. So full disclosure, initially when I'm watching this, and this isn't one of this is one of the few WrestleMania's I didn't watch live. I remember I, I was not I think I went to a Celtics game or something this night. I don't remember the details, but I did not watch WrestleMania live. And I actually didn't watch it for a while until it came out on video. But nevertheless, uh, initially when I watched it back this time, I thought this match would have been better suited to be just a regular tag match with the young studs of Evolution, Batista and Orton going against Rock and Mankind. And then as I'm watching the match, um, I realize there's a reason Flair is actually in the match. See, unfortunately, these two Evolution kids are too inexperienced to put on a logical, good, you know, well-put-together tag match for a long period of time. Now, see, don't get me wrong... Orton and Batista are super athletic at this point, and they both can definitely wrestle. But there's a fucking big difference between knowing how to wrestle and knowing in-ring psychology. And I feel like that's why Flair was in this match, because 
you know, he knows when to do stuff, how to do it, listening to the crowd. It, it, I don't think this match could have been done well without Flair, so kudos to him. Now, a couple of things I took away from this match. First of all, Mick Foley looks great. Fucking looks like he's in the best shape of his life. Probably hasn't looked this uh, slimmed down since... Fuck ECW. <laughs> Even before the Mankind gimmick. Um, also, Flair looks great. Which I gotta say is pretty impressive for a guy who won his first world title 23 years before this night. Yeah, even before WrestleMania, Ric Flair was a world champion. That tells you something. Uh, Now, as far as The Rock, Rock kind of looks like he'd rather be anywhere else. I mean, look, he's still great. He's still The Rock. But he's kind of just going through the motion and hitting his greatest hits for the most part. Um, Although there were two really funny rock spots in this match. One was when Randy Orton was in the Tree of Woe. Mick Foley was beating him up. And the referee pulled Foley off of him. And with the referee's back turned, Rock comes in the ring and punches Orton right in the dick. (laughs) Just completely fucking boom. Knockout shot right to the dick. Apparently Rock's like, fuck you, I'm the only third generation wrestler that matters. Uh, then there was another spot where Flair tries to hit the rock with the people's elbow. Yeah, you heard that right. Um, but, uh, Rock hips up and then nails Flair with a spine buster and then he hits Flair with a special WrestleMania strutting people's elbow, which I actually thought was pretty funny. Now, the finish of this match came in a prelude to the future of Mr. Randall Keith Orton because he pins Mick Foley with, wait for it, an RKO out of nowhere. And yeah, that's what JR calls it. Your winners, Evolution? Sure. Randy Orton looks like a star. Batista looks like he's got a long way to go. I'm not kidding. I'm just saying. Looks very green out there, even to this point in 2004. Um, You know, and the crowd's disappointed because they were fucking really behind Foley. Obviously, the whole Long Island thing, you know. Now, they do get a moment after the match. And the crowd, you know, chanting for Foley and... Thank you, and, you know, they kind of get, like, a little bit, like, of a curtain call, but it's, you know, it's, I guess it's just respectful, because, obviously, they lost, so. It'd be a long, long time before you see Rock again at WrestleMania. Uh, it will not be a long time before you see McFoley again, but that's for another day. Now, after this match... We get some highlights from last night's Hall of Fame ceremony. Because back at this point, they used to do the Hall of Fame ceremony on Saturday nights. As I mentioned at the top of the show, the Hall of Fame this year was actually worked into WrestleMania, into the actual broadcast. Which, for the, that was for the first time. And you know what? I really liked it. Because I always appreciated those legends getting their spotlight at WrestleMania. Not just the ceremony the night before, Obviously, the ceremony is great. They get to, you know, relive their stories 
and tell great stories and keep people out there sometimes for 45 minutes. But <laughs> I'm looking at you, Mr. T. But I've always enjoyed when they get brought out of WrestleMania. Now, this year's class. I'll be honest with you guys. They outdid themselves because these are truly some legends among legends. And I'm not even being sarcastic. I'm being dead serious. So we go to the one and only Mean Gene. And he introduces us first to Bobby the Brain Heenan, who gets a huge response. Former Intercontinental and Tag Team Champion Tito Santana. We then uh, get a nice memoriam for Big John Studd and accepting his Hall of Fame induction is his son. And then we move on to seven-time NWA champion Harley Race. For the first time ever, the WWE inducts somebody into their celebrity wing, honoring Pete Rose. And to this day, that's the only Hall of Fame Pete Rose is in. Then we move right along to The Rock himself, The Rock Don Morocco. Greg, the Big Thick Hammer Valentine, as we've established on the rundown in previous episodes. Junkyard Dog, who gets a very loud response from the crowd, represented by his daughter. The one and only, the Tower of Power, too sweet to be sour, superstar Billy Graham is here. Moving on to the next one, we have the one and only Sergeant Slaughter... And finally, capping off the Hall of Fame class of 2004, the wrestler, the announcer, the governor, the activist, the weed-smoking, conspiracy-toting, former star of The Predator, Jesse the Body Ventura. Like I said, it's a who's who of wrestling legends, most of whom were at WrestleMania 1. So that's crazy. Because there's a lot of people at at this year at this WrestleMania, WrestleMania 20, that are probably getting inducted soon to the Hall as well. Uh, match number five. I'm just going to give you the title of the match. It is a Playboy evening gown match with Tori and Sable teaming up to take on Stacy Keebler and Miss Jackie, or Jackie Gata, or whatever the fuck you want to call her. Now, this match is especially for those perverts in the crowd. Not you, Lawler. Sit the fuck down. Listen, I suppose you could argue that this match is to promote Sable and Tori's Playboy issue that came out about a month or so ago where both of them were featured in it. But let's be honest. Everyone who was going to buy that issue has already jerked off to it like a thousand times. So, promoting it, eh, you know. Um, Sable decides... Now, actually, before I get ahead of myself, uh, Howard Finkel announces that this match can only be won by pin or fin- uh, by pinfall or submission, even though it's a evening gown match. So, Sable did, uh, basically comes up with the idea that since it doesn't matter if you tear your opponent's gown off, then she wants to start the match without it on. Sounds about right. Uh, of course, then Stacy takes off her gown. 
And then Tori Wilson takes off her gown. But Jackie refuses to do it. So Tori and Sable just tear it off anyway. Now, <laughs> as the bell rings, I, I notice, I'll say that, that this match features four hot blondes wrestling in their underwear. So... Yes! 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 This is uh, as much comedy and um, interesting camera angles as you would expect. A roll-up by Tori, kind of. And uh, on Jackie ends this uh, match. I I think I need a cigarette, to be honest with you. Go back and watch this match for its uh, technical prowess. Yeah, that's what I'm going with. But also, if you like hot blondes. Backstage, again, Eddie Guerrero, the WWE champion, is with Chris Benoit. Now, Eddie jokes that Benoit might not have what it takes tonight to beat Triple H and HBK. And Benoit starts getting really pissed off at that. In fact, it looks like he's getting murderized. But Eddie tells him, hey, Holmes, he's just kidding. He wants that fire to come out so Benoit wins. Because that's when he's at his best. Benoit says tonight is his night and no one will ever doubt him again. All right, Benoit, relax. I mean, Jesus Christ, it's not a matter of life or death here. Moving on to match number six. This is an interesting... Match type. It's called the Cruiserweight Open for the Cruiserweight title. Where champion Chavo Guerrero is going to have to defend his title against 10 other Cruiserweights in what basically looks like a gauntlet match. So why didn't they just call it a Cruiserweight gauntlet match? The only difference is everybody gets an entrance and comes out and surrounds the ring first. But it's not a lumberjack match because nobody touches the other competitors. But I guess... That's the only difference, is they don't have to run down to the ring after a pinfall. They can just slide into the ring and immediately go into the next fall. Now, I'm going to go through this quickly, guys. Like I said, this night has 12 matches, so stay with me. Ultimo Dragon pins Shannon Moore after a Salida del Sol. No, for real, that's the fucking move he used. Jamie Noble then beats Ultimo Dragon with, uh, wait for it. Dragon Sleeper! Oh, the irony. Funaki misses a dropkick and gets rolled up by Noble and pinned within six seconds. Thanks for coming, Funaki. Nunzio gets countered out after Noble nails him with a somersault dive off the top rope. Kidman finally eliminates Jamie Noble, so good showing for Jamie Noble. With a top rope sit-down powerbomb, but not before almost breaking his fucking neck with a shooting star press to the outside. Mysterio then comes in, dressed like the Flash. And he beats Kidman with a sunset flip off the top rope. Tajiri gets pinned pretty quickly, but... uh, He then uh, gets his revenge by kicking Ray in the back of the head. That leaves us with... The champion, Chavo Guerrero Jr. With Chavo Sr. in his corner. And yes, 
on this night he is Chavo Sr. They have not developed the amazing nickname of Chavo Classic just yet. So we go with the Chavos versus Ray. They go back and forth for a little bit. Ray gets a good amount of offense in. But as soon as Ray starts really rolling, Chavo Sr. tries to interfere. So Ray takes him out with a plunge over the top rope. This allows Chavo to pin him after he gets back in the ring with something that looks like an inside cradle, but he reaches to the outside so that Chavo Senior can hold his arm for extra leverage? I don't know. It's another screw Rey Mysterio moment. And Chavo Guerrero Jr. retains the Cruiserweight title. Good match. Kind of fucking all over the place. I mean, you had 10 guys in an 11-minute match. You do the math. But it's all right. I think you could have easily just did Ray versus Chavo and make it a good match. But, you know, you know how WrestleMania goes. They like to get everyone on the card as insignificant as their role may be. Speaking of insignificant, and I swear I didn't even do that on purpose... Our next match. Oh boy, you may have heard of this one. Goldberg versus Brock Lesnar. With Steve Austin as the special guest referee in a loser and winner leaves town match. <laughs> uh, you know the fucking hype video for this match is better than the actual match? I shit you not. Okay, here we go. This match fucking sucks. I don't need to tell you guys that. You've heard enough about it. You know it fucking sucks. It is listed on Wikipedia as the official match time of 13 minutes and 43 seconds. Problem with that match time, and it does go bell to bell, 13.43, is that a good seven or eight minutes is literally spent with them circling each other at the beginning of the match. Like, nothing fucking happens. Now, to be fair to the competitors, Brock Lesnar and Bill Goldberg, I wouldn't want to go all out if I know I'm leaving tomorrow morning either. And, (laughs) I'm not the only one who knew these guys were leaving. Because pretty much the entire Madison Square Garden crowd started giving them shit the minute the fucking guys came out. I mean, like, this... This was the night that gave birth to the smart crowd. The one that will hijack a show and take over uh, your main event. Funny, you know, because obviously we saw what happened this year at WrestleMania 34 with Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. So, (laughs) from WrestleMania 20 all the way to WrestleMania 34, don't put Brock in a main event because people will shit all over it. That's all I'm saying. Now, this wasn't the main event, but it was billed as a dream match, so to speak. I don't know. I can tell you this. I'm not disagreeing with the New York crowd. Fuck these guys. Uh, and you should have heard the chants that are pouring down on them. Any Anything from you sold out to the, hey, 
goodbye to Chance for Austin to this match sucks, which I thought was interesting because I never had heard that at a WrestleMania before, and I've watched some god awful matches at WrestleMania doing this show. Um, the only good thing about this match, literally the only good thing, is post match when Austin stunners them both. Oh yeah, and speaking of post-match, Goldberg won with a jackhammer. File that under who gives a fuck. And since timing is everything, after the abortion of a match of that caliber, Vince McMahon comes out to the stage. Uh, And he wants to thank the fans for making WrestleMania a huge success for 20 years. He thanks the crowd. He thanks the fans at home. He says, there would be no us without you. It's funny, because he's out there baby-facing it up, saying thank you, thank you, thank you. But you know, like... (laughs) I swear, even though he's saying thank you, what what he's really saying is... Match number eight. Okay, so I had to go back in my notes to make sure that I didn't fuck this up. But no, I didn't, because match number eight is a fatal four-way for the Tag Team Championships. This time, it's for the WWE Tag Team Titles, as opposed to the World Tag Team Titles. And it features champions Rikishi and Scotty Tuhati versus the APA versus the Basham Brothers versus the world's greatest tag team, Haas and Benjamin. What the fuck? Okay, like, okay, so not only since WrestleMania 18 have you had these garbage multi-person tag matches. But now we're going to do multi-person, I'm sorry, multi-team tag matches on both fucking brands? Fatal full away for the tag team titles on both Raw and SmackDown tonight. Come on, guys. What the fuck? And you know what? The match was six minutes long. You have four teams. Oh, and by the way, this one's an elimination tag match. You have four teams. The match lasted six minutes. That's really all you guys need to know. I, I'm sorry, guys. I don't. I just don't have time tonight for this shit. Rikishi and Scotty Tuhati retain, and then they dance because, of course, they do. Oh, and if you're wondering, it's Rikishi and Scotty Tuhati because Grandmaster Sexy has been released since 2001 for illegally smuggling drugs across the border from Canada. So there you go. Fuck, man. Okay. (sighs) Next, we get a rather interesting segment. Kind of a non sequitur. I don't even know why we get this segment. But Jesse the Body Ventura comes out. And he's here to interview someone from the crowd. Now, first of all, before we get to who he interviews, Jesse the Body Ventura comes out wearing a black blazer, a black shirt, black pants, black do-rag, and with a black beard. I'm sorry, this is a guy who used to come out diamond-crested from head to toe. The most flamboyant costumes in the business, 
And at least he used to wear a fucking suit when he was the governor. What is this? Why did Jesse come out looking like a hobo? I don't get it. Uh, but if you think I don't get that, wait till you hear this surreal interview. Who is it? Who's he looking for? It's there? the star of the number one rated TV show on NBC, The Apprentice. Oh. Oh, yeah. The hey. host of WrestleMania 4 and 5. None other than New York's own Donald Trump. All right. The Donald. The Donald. Donald, great to see you. First of all, I got to say the hair looks great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesse. All right, Donald, what is you're here at WrestleMania. You hosted WrestleMania 4 and 5. What does WrestleMania mean to a man like you? Well, it means a lot. I was involved with with Vince for a long time. He's a great guy. He's done really an unbelievable job. I'm with my son tonight, and we're having a good time. You're having a great time. Now, I got to ask you, now we're getting to the personal stuff, Donald. You know, if I were to get back into politics, could I expect your moral and financial support? 100%. 100% if I get back in politics. One, you know that. 100%. You know what? I think that we may need a wrestler in the White House in 2008. All right. Yeah. Donald, thank you. Have a great time. Let's get on with mania. As you can tell, Donald gets a mixed reaction even before mixed reactions were a thing. Also, Jesse, if only you had run for president. If only you had run. What could have been, and what might not have been. We move on to match number nine. This is an interesting little match that I didn't know was on this card. It is a hair versus title match for the women's championship. Champion Victoria will defend her title against Molly Holly and her hair. Now, although this was a quick match, clocked in at 6 minutes and 49, this was actually a really fun match. Both girls looked great. Both girls brought it. Both girls got physical. But Victoria pins Molly Holly after a backslide. Holy shit. Somebody actually got pinned by a backslide. <laughs> now, after the match, Molly hilariously tries to run away, because obviously she doesn't want to get her head shaved. Uh, but Victoria runs after and catches up with her on the stage, where it just so happens that's where the barber is. And then they proceed to strap her into the chair. Like, there's little arm latches. Like a fucking horror movie. <laughs> And then slowly, and I mean slowly, shave Molly Holly bald. Good on Molly. I, I mean, besides being a fantastic wrestler, it probably takes a lot for her to, to go through with something like this. And uh, I thought she played it up beautifully. So, very surprisingly good match uh, between very, two very good workers at this point. And speaking of two very good workers... Match number 10 is for the WWE Championship. Eddie Guerrero 
fresh off his title win last month at No Way Out from Brock Lesnar, will defend the title against Kurt Angle. Now, in the build-up to this match, Guerrero gets coerced into a match with Paul Heyman on SmackDown with his hands cuffed behind his back. Now, obviously, the premise being, I can beat you, Paul Heyman, even with my hands handcuffed behind my back, but unfortunately for Guerrero, this whole thing was a setup, because while he's handcuffed, out comes Kurt Angle, who beats the fucking tar out of Eddie. To the point of almost uncomfortable to watch. Now, Angle then went on to state follow-up promos that he was utterly embarrassed to see Eddie as the WWE champion and said the company should be ashamed to have a pill-popping drug addict as their champion. Um, Kurt? Ah, watch yourself there, buddy. You're about to go down the same road at this point in your life. Uh, and besides, I'm sure there have been a good bunch of friggin' pill-popping WWE champions for years before and for years to come. Besides, as the commentators made sure to point out, Eddie is reformed and has built a connection with the fans on a deep, personal level. In a lot of ways, they feel like Eddie is their champion. Now, truth be told, this match was fucking amazing. Two of the best in the world. And guess what? Kurt Angle's healthy this year. Unlike last year against Brock, where he still put on a good match, Kurt Angle's probably as close to 100% as he's going to be. And it shows. I mean, this was a fucking clinic by both guys. And we start... Really technical, mat-based. They kind of go hold for hold. It feels like something you'd see an old-school shooter do. And the Madison Square Garden crowd eats it up. They give it up for both these guys. Mad respect, because they know what the fuck good wrestling is. At one point, Angle tries to German suplex Eddie from the apron to the floor. Thank God he didn't, because that just would have been vile. But luckily, Eddie hangs onto the top rope and kicks Kurt off of him so he can't German him on the fucking floor. Now, the psychology of this match is another thing that I think is next-level shit. Because Kurt doesn't work Eddie's ankle. Kurt doesn't work Eddie's neck. Kurt works his midsection, which is something you rarely see. We get some abdominal stretches. We get some gut-wrench suplexes. It's really kind of next-level shit. Now... <laughs> Eddie does nail the frog splash at one point only to have Kurt kick out at two and a half and the only critique I would have had is if he was working his midsection the whole match you should have put it over that it, that frog splash hurt Eddie as much as it hurt Kurt which I didn't hear the announcers do but it was Cole and Taz so pff, not really exactly surprised <laughs> um, 
Kurt locks Eddie in the ankle lock twice, with the second time being the most devastating time, because that's when he was in it for the longest. And uh, this is where Eddie Guerrero's cunningness with his character is on point, because he basically plays up the fact that he thinks his ankle is broken after kicking Kurt to the outside of the ring. Uh, he's starting to unlace his boot and and playing it off like it's too swollen and then acting really petrified when he sees Kurt's coming in the ring and being like, oh no, he's going to put me in the ankle lock again, which of course, ankle puts him in the ankle lock again. Angle puts him in the ankle lock again. And, um, but... Kurt's so gung-ho that he wants to break his ankle that he doesn't even notice that Eddie has loosened up his boot. And Eddie Guerrero completely slips his foot out of the boot. So Kurt's standing there with a fucking boot in his hand, charges at Eddie, Eddie rolls him up in a small package, uses the ropes for leverage, and pins Kurt Angle to retain the title. (laughs) Your winner and still WWE champion... Eddie Guerrero. Now, post-match, Kurt is fucking bullshit. I don't blame him. And, uh, you know, the fact that Eddie, quote-unquote, stole this win, I thought was brilliant. Now, I know some people will think a finish like that doesn't make your champion look strong. But see, I disagree. Because Eddie's character was always that he was outsmarting his opponents left and right. And this was a prime example of it. Crowd loved it, too. Got a huge fucking pop. And I got to say this now because I don't get to say this too often on this show. It is a fucking damn shame that he did not have a longer run with that belt. Okay? I don't understand why a guy like JBL, who was still in a tag team at this point, two months later gets a repackaging and is fighting for the WWE Championship. It doesn't fucking make any goddamn sense. But, nevertheless, on this night, Eddie was victorious. Eddie retained the title. (laughs) Our next match... Well, our next match features the psychotic, deranged monster known as Kane. Going against his brother, The Undertaker... Now I know what you're thinking. We've already seen this at a WrestleMania, but this time is different. Tell them why, Kane. I buried him Rest in And of course, typical to an Undertaker storyline, nobody has seen him since. Their video package does show there have been hints and clues of The Undertaker's return, including a phenomenally done segment on SmackDown, where, or might have been Raw, where the entire ring is shaking at the soon-to-be presence of the dead man. Like, they must have put some hydraulics under it or something, but it is literally, uh, like, in an earthquake style, shaking all over the place, with Kane in the middle of it. Fucking hilarious. Kane comes out to this ring with a towel over his head, 
Because obviously he must have just come from the sauna or something. And we await the return of the dead man. Now, Cain has promised us that there's not going to be a match. That you will never see The Undertaker again. Which, of course, means there's going to be a match and you will see The Undertaker again. <laughs> That's just how wrestling goes. So, as we await the return of The Undertaker, lights goes out, gong goes off, and out he comes, the one, the only, super fat Paul Bear. <laughs> He's fucking even bigger than he was during the first Kane Taker storyline. <laughs> Uh, super fat Paul Bear comes down to the ring with the urn, followed by torch-carrying druids. So, given this display, I'm assuming the biker-taker gimmick is dead? Yeah? Most likely? My suspicions are confirmed as the dead man, the phenom, the non-biker-taker, slowly makes his way to the ring. And to be honest, the crowd loses their fucking shit. With an entrance that seems longer than the actual match, The Undertaker has returned once again. He then has your typical Taker match with Kane. Kane getting very little offense in. And getting pinned after only one tombstone. Not three, like at WrestleMania 14. Nah, fuck that. This Kane gets one tombstone. And he dies. I will say I appreciate Kane spending the first two minutes of this match screaming, You're not real. You're not real. You're not real. I killed you. You're not real. Over. Over. And over again. To where he actually sticks his hand out to see if the Undertaker's there, if he's just an apparition. And as soon as he touches Taker, Taker just beats the fuck out of him. <laughs> oh, he's real, Kane. And at WrestleMania, he's spectacular. Undertaker goes to 12-0 by defeating his brother in the semi-main. Mind you, even though JR mentions he goes to 12-0... It is not a thing yet that the streak is a storyline. No, no, no. We save that for next year. But on this night, good on the dead man. Huge pop. Not so much during the actual match, but definitely for the entrance and definitely for fat, super fat Paul Bear. It is now time... For our main event of the evening. Triple threat for the World Heavyweight Championship. Champion Triple H defends against Shawn Michaels. And defends against the killer. Oh, sorry, the crippler. Chris Benoit. Now, this is interesting in the vein that Triple H... And HBK have been fighting almost nonstop for 18 months since SummerSlam 2002. And then you take a wet, rabid Wolverine and add him to the mix, and it should play out to be an extremely good match. Now, in the video package, it is blatantly clear the WWE didn't retain any rights to this year's WrestleMania theme songs. 
since the goddamn music that's being played during the graphic is the Sandman's generic WWE CW theme. <laughs> so that's where they got that song from. Awful. Now, the highlight show at the Royal Rumble, Shawn Michaels and Triple H fought to a draw as neither man could answer the referee's 10 count during a last man standing match. This, of course, allowed Triple H to retain his title, but it also gave Michaels a, a claim that he deserves another shot. On the same night, SmackDown's Chris Benoit lasted 62 minutes to win the 2004 Royal Rumble and has elected to challenge Triple H for the World Heavyweight Championship. However, at the contract signing, HBK super kicks Benoit mid-segment and then signs his own name on the contract. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have a legit reason for a triple threat match. The video concludes with a montage of all three guys kicking the shit out of each other over the next few weeks. HBK is out first to a decent pop, but Benoit gets a bigger one, to be honest. I'm a little surprised at how Michaels is received by the New York City crowd, but uh, it gets explained pretty quick. But before that, Making his way to the ring, his ninth straight WrestleMania appearance, the man who will not be competing at WrestleMania 35, can't say I'm super mad about that, Triple H! Now as the match starts, Benoit and Michaels fight over who gets to beat up Triple H, which means they both do, and then of course they take it out on each other. Actually, I thought the game was really smart here because he waited outside the ring for a while and let Michaels and Benoit beat the shit out of each other. Uh, and before finally sliding into the ring and clotheslining Michaels. Now, my question from earlier is answered as to why the New York crowd isn't feeling Sean as we get a you screwed bread chant that loudly makes its way around the ring. Around the arena, rather. To be honest, New York, I know you're directing that at Sean, but you could direct it at Triple H. Hell, you could even direct it at the referee who happens to be Earl Hebner. Well, you know, direct it to that guy who came out to thank you all. Nevertheless, Michaels wipes out both Triple H and Benoit with a moonsault from the top to the outside. And all three guys really just beat the tar out of each other during this match, which is exactly what you need to see for your World Heavyweight Championship. You know, I want to see that sense of urgency. I want to see that determination. I want to see that fire. Uh, HBK almost nails Triple H with sweet chin music, but Triple H ducks and hits him with a DDT. Triple H then nails Benoit with a superplex, but only gets a two count. Soon after, HBK does nail Triple H with Sweet Tin Music, but Benoit pulls him to the outside to break up the count. After some back and forth, Benoit slingshots HBK into the ring post, and Sean starts bleeding like crazy. Almost immediately. 
Now, I'm 99% sure he gigged himself when he was on the mat prior to the slingshot, but he did such a masterful job of hiding it that he really did make it look like a hard way. The only reason I don't think it was hard way is because of the speed of blood that was pouring out of his face. It definitely looked like a... It doesn't look like a turn pose could do that. It's also at this point that Triple H and HBK decide to double suplex Benoit through the SmackDown announce table. So Benoit is, for all intents and purposes, dead. HBK gets back in the ring, blood all over his face. Triple H gets up from the table spot. For some fucking reason, he's bleeding. And Michaels tells Triple H to come in the ring so they can settle that. Triple H gets in the ring, and within not even 10 seconds, nails Michaels with the pedigree. So, good job, Sean. You challenge the man to come in to settle your 10-year feud, as you called it, and you get pedigreed in less than 10 seconds. To his defense, he couldn't see out of his left eye because it was covered in blood. But, nevertheless, uh, at the very last second, Benoit rises from the dead and breaks up the pinfall. Much to the crowd's uh, delight. And Benoit then proceeds to lock Triple H in a sharpshooter, much to the crowd's enjoyment. Fortunately for Benoit, while Triple H is in the sharpshooter, Michael super kicks Benoit in the face. Out of nowhere. Triple H tosses Michaels to the outside and pins Benoit, but Benoit kicks out. Triple H then tosses Sean in the ring, and he goes to grab Benoit to toss him out of the ring, but Benoit locks him in the crossface. Triple H inches to the ropes before Michaels breaks up the submission. Triple H then tosses Michaels head over heels over the turnbuckle, and Michaels flips all the way outside. Triple H picks up Benoit for a pedigree, but Benoit locks him in the crossface again. Triple H inches his way to the ropes, but before he can grab the bottom rope, Benoit flips back and relocks in the crossface in the center of the ring. After a long struggle, Triple H realizes there's nowhere for him to go, and he finally taps out. Your winner and new World Heavyweight Champion... What? It's just blank. There's... There's no name there. It's like it's been erased. I'm joking. Your winner, Chris Benoit. Now, JR is screaming his fucking head off about this moment. To JR's credit, I actually enjoyed the passion in the final call. And out comes Eddie Guerrero. They don't stop Benoit's music, though, which I thought was nice. Eddie comes in there holding the WWE Championship. Him and Benoit embrace... And the two are then covered in confetti as we go off the air. Or do we? 
Do we go off the air at this moment? I don't know. Although I can't find any video evidence, I have heard stories that Nancy and Daniel Benoit joined Chris in the ring for his celebration at the very end of the segment. But the WWE has cut that out of all broadcasts. Which, to be fair, I kind of don't blame them on that one. Now, like I said, I did not watch this live, so I don't know, and I can't remember if that's true. Probably best that they did cut it out if it is. Because, you know, that that that's just... You don't need that right there. Um, and to be honest... Rather than cut that out than cut this match out of history, for the longest time after what happened happened, and you know what I'm talking about, uh, this match was unseeable. You couldn't find it. They pretty much locked it up and threw away the key. And then when the network came out, literally everybody was like, well, what are they going to do about not only this match, but his other matches in general? And what they did was they released, you know, as you guys have all seen on the network, the disclaimer, WWE characters are fictitious. What they do in their personal lives does not reflect the WWE in any way. Kind of distancing themselves from anything anybody does outside of uh, the ring. So I'm glad that we do get to see this match because this was a great match. And... I gotta tell you guys, I enjoy the shit out of this WrestleMania more than I thought I was going to. This WrestleMania definitely had some great moments. And I loved the passion and the sheer volume from the New York City crowd. There was a lot of fun moments. Whether it was Molly Holly getting her head shaved. Or Kane acting like he saw a ghost. Or the Rock and Sock Connection. Or fucking John Cena. There was a lot of fun things about this WrestleMania. Now, if I'm being honest, and if I'm being very, very honest, the entire time I'm writing this review, I'm going with Angle versus Eddie Guerrero as my match of the night. But, at the very last second, the triple threat match with Benoit and Triple H and Shawn Michaels edged it out. Uh, It edged it out because of the sheer violence. It edged it out because of the intensity. It edged it out because of J.R. Yes, Jim fucking Ross gave one of his all-time classic performances during this match with his calls and with his passion behind each call. Uh, He made the match. He did. The only thing that took away from the match was the crowd's treatment of Shawn Michaels, which I didn't understand because I, much like other people, am an unabashed Shawn Michaels fan. So I was hoping he was going to win the title on this night. But um, that's the only tiny nitpick is I didn't like the New York crowd's treatment of Shawn Michaels. But Madison Square Garden has always been a huge... you know, fandomonium spot for Bret Hart, so it's not really that surprising. But again, there's other people in this very match that you could blame. Not just Shawn Michaels, but, you know, New York's gonna New York. That's what they're gonna do. 
but still, regardless of all that, the triple threat match was the match of the night. That's what I want to see when I watch WrestleMania, is I want the main event to be the match of the night. For me, personally. Uh, worst match of the night was the complete opposite of everything I just talked about, and that was Brock versus Goldberg. Because if both guys are leaving and it gets out that both guys are leaving, then don't have the fucking match. Because uh, I don't think you're going to draw anything more at that point. I can f- guarantee you, you can find a better creative way of using Steve Austin. And it just, you know what? It showed Vince, not that he's learned his lesson, that if you try to force something to be a thing, the fans will turn it on you and shove it back in your face. And I just, you know, the fucking match was awful. It really fucking was awful. Just don't do the match. Don't do a fucking match when two guys are going to leave the company. Because it's going to be shit. That being said, as I had mentioned, I did enjoy this WrestleMania. Join us next time where myself and the aforementioned Jeff Mayhem Mayhew makes his salvation debut as WrestleMania goes Hollywood for WrestleMania 21. Now, I know I said at the beginning of the show that WrestleMania started uh, being live from stadiums going forward, but we're just doing two more arenas, I swear, the Staples Center being one of them. Follow us on Twitter, at WrestleManiaSale. Follow the flagship, at Rundown Podcast. Stay tuned to the Rundown Wrestling Podcast where they make promises that they will bring back our other shows such as NXT Revisited, the Rundown Sit-Down, the Nitromania Podcast, and Glow Stick. I always return with new episodes of Salvation, but just like paying back a hooker for a handy can be a little late sometimes. I'm running solo, so I will hit you with a classic catchphrase tonight. One you might come to expect. Beat me if you can. Survive if I let you. And I will see your ass next time.